Laura, can you believe that it's been one year since we started this thing? I absolutely cannot. I mean, the fact that time has changed in the pandemic is an understatement. So to think that we, and more accurately you, have been doing this show for a year is absolutely insane. It is really crazy. I mean, it's been 52 weeks since our first episode. Let's go back to when this all started. Let's go back to those episodes and just kind of take stock of what's happened over this entire year. Yeah, I mean, I think when we started, it was really interesting to look at exactly how many aspects of life were impacted by COVID. That's, again, a huge understatement because everything was impacted. But I think when I first realized how widespread it was, was when we did the episode with Alejandro about protesting during the pandemic and how people were kind of putting themselves in danger by speaking up for what they believe, but that's hardly something new with social movements. And then also how masks were interacting with keeping your identity protected while you were engaging in your First Amendment rights. Never would I have thought when we started this that we'd be talking about social movements when really focusing on the pandemic and how it's affecting us. But as Alejandro, you know, told us. I've gotten a good taste of what protest entails both before the pandemic and then afterwards. And I can tell you that things have changed quite dramatically in the way that people really altered their behavior when it comes to grassroots organizing. People moved online, they moved to social media, they made their news feeds, their profiles, the center of their political activists. It's not like the pandemic disappeared from people's minds. There was a risk of mm -hmm. infection. But it's a risk, you know, given the topic, given the outrage that emerged over the video that was filmed of George Floyd's death, it's a risk that people were willing to take. And one of my favorite episodes was the one we had with Megan Cloherty, where she talked about how the legal system was really impacted by COVID-19. Most trials in D.C. are pushed a full two years because of the pandemic. So there are people whose court date March 2020 and it's now March 2022. Yeah. Wow. That's a long time behind bars. I mean, if the person is innocent, that is a travesty. Yeah. And again, that is something that criminal justice reform advocates have been talking about for a while. This extended time between arrest and trial, where a lot of times if the person being arrested is not economically well off, they're in jail for that entire time. So, yeah, Megan really brought that to light for us. And we can't do a year in review without talking about the episode that got us on the map, which was Dave Dildine's episode on traffic. Now, full disclosure, we were getting like 80 listens from our friends and family probably for the first, you know, couple of episodes. But when we talked about the return of Rush Hour, boom, people started listening for whatever reason, probably just because of Dave Dildine. I would listen to truly anything Dave Dildine says forever, beyond being like, just very fun to talk to. He is wonky in the most approachable way possible, uh, which I think is why our listeners enjoy hearing him on the eights, beyond the fact that he's making their lives actionably easier. Uh, that episode was just a great conversation too. He makes the data very engaging and like I say, accessible to most people. We had normal rush hours, so to speak, normal volumes on the Beltway, the normal terrible volumes that led to congestion up through about mid-March, and then all of a sudden, when agencies started going pure telework and more people started staying at home, you look at the chart and you saw this precipitous decline, and highway volumes went to near or under 50% of pre-pandemic levels, and they bottomed out there for about a month. Hmm. That had a significant impact on the capacities of the area roadways, and essentially we went from recurring congestion on almost all area highways to no congestion whatsoever. 
Thanks, Dave. He might have been the first to be like, traffic is returning. You know, that was a moment where we were seeing mass movements of people kind of start to return again, which was one of those first steps back to normalcy. Now, we were still very far from normal because Delta hadn't hit, nor had Omicron. But it was a marquee shift, and I was really happy that our show captured it. When Delta hit, that was a really hard conversation to have because we spoke with Dr. Monica Gandhi from University of California, San Francisco. Long title, but I can assure you that her expertise warrants the whole thing because she had what I thought was very actionable advice on how to move through a world where this pandemic and other pandemics are possible and honestly likely. So the Delta variant has changed the war, and I'm really sorry about it, by the way, and it's really difficult for people because we were all hoping that things were getting so much better. But what the Delta variant is, is that any variant, you want to look at three things about it. Transmissibility, has it changed the virulence of the organism or the ability to cause disease, and will it evade our vaccines? After that episode with Monica Gandhi, I think the show shifted a little bit where we saw a new variant, we made it through, and the D.C. area really had to figure out, okay, are we going to bring back schooling like we saw it before the pandemic? Are we going to bring back all of these important things that we need, you know, after a year of not having them? And so I think the show really started focusing on how that return was going to go. And the first one was schools. Yeah, the D.C. area is very tricky in that you can be in any one of three areas at a time. And all of those three, Maryland, Virginia, and D.C., have different rules and different ruling political parties and different ideas. And that was why it was interesting to talk to Neil Augenstein, no introductions needed, about going back to school in Virginia specifically. Because Virginia, the part of it that most... DMV people interact with is Northern Virginia, which does not at all reflect the general makeup of the broader state, which is what the governor at the time, Northam, now Yunkin, has to consider. They're doing a whole state. So talking to Neil was really interesting. Watching kids go back to school in a pandemic they thought was only going to take away their spring semester of the previous year. This year, especially with the anxiety that parents have had about sending their kids back to school, I think that the schools, the teachers and the principals and the other administrators have gone out of their way to help reassure the parents that they're going to do everything they can to keep the kids safe. And there's one episode that really sticks out, and that was when we went to the In America Remember art installation around the Washington Monument and on the National Mall, where there was a flag planted, you know, for every death. And we got to talk to, you know, the artist, Suzanne Brennan-Furstenberg. Seeing a name, seeing some information, whether it's a 15-year-old or it was a person who was a World War II veteran, it triggers empathy. It triggers an understanding that each flag here represents a concentric circle of grief. First, the family, the friends, neighbors, the co-workers, people in the faith community. And that's just one flag. And then you look up and you see 695,000 plus flags. That's a lot of grief. America is hurting. Being on the mall, looking out at, at the time it was 700,000 something flags. It has gone up tremendously since then showed you exactly how 
dramatic the impact was. Um, we actually ended up talking to uh, an ICU nurse uh, who had been in New York for a while. She had returned. She was a grad student here, Jessica Balthazar. And she really hit it home when she said every single one of these flags is not only a person that died, but represents a community and a family left behind. Coming here and just acknowledging it publicly, openly, and beautifully, this is, it's just gorgeous. I was walking and you could just hear, there was like a big gust of wind and you could hear this ripple of the flags. And I was just like, it almost feels like, like a ripple of their souls. And I felt that. And just seeing all of this and like there's letters written on so many of these flags. I keep wondering if I'm gonna recognize somebody's name. Like the people that I, I took care of, I hope that they know that, um, I hope they know I tried, you know. I tried as hard as I could and I hope they know that everybody that took care of them tried as hard as they could to help keep them here and um, to help make them comfortable and to help them to help them not feel so alone when they died. Um, because I think dying alone is very, uh, I think it's one of the saddest things I've ever seen. That was incredibly impactful and I think a turning point for me and how I thought about the pandemic and how I framed the conversation whenever possible. I remember talking with Jessica and in that conversation, the weight of this pandemic became apparent because we were talking to someone who was on the front lines who really had to see this death firsthand. And we all have been affected by this pandemic in so many ways, but we really had the chance to talk to and then share our conversation with someone who felt just the brunt of this thing. And it really just set in how, how difficult and how awful this whole pandemic is. As much as we want to get back to normal, I think it's always going to be important to remember how awful it was and how many people it hurt. And this episode really made that clear to me. After that exhibit, I, and you know, I'll speak for you too, you rediscovered how impactful it can be to go into the community and talk to people in real life. Real life, a foreign concept to us at that point in, in the pandemic. So we did that. We went out a little bit more. Yeah, I remember going to the National Zoo and we saw otters, we saw pandas, we saw elephants, and we saw the big cats, which actually was the subject of our episode. We talked to the then acting director of the National Zoo, Brandy Smith, who's now the director of the National Zoo. And we talked to her about, you know, how close the big cats were to literal death from COVID-19 and how the staff really had to change everything and how they run a zoo to make sure they're safe, their animals are safe during a pandemic. I mean, it was just, it was so interesting to hear Brandy talk. Another thing Dr. Smith said that I really loved was about how much joy animals, the zoo in general, can bring to people. Everyone has these moments of joy and awe when they see these animals. And this is one of my favorite things. There's a whole science around awe when you experience it. If you come here and you see the cuteness of a panda or the majesty of an elephant, you are literally releasing chemicals in your body, right? Hormones that make you a happier, better person. So it actually is oxytocin. It's, it's a togetherness hormone. It's a happiness hormone. And you're having these moments of awe and inspiration and togetherness. And from our conversation, 
I felt a little bit like it's okay to seek that joy during this pandemic. And she was proud to play a role in people finding it during an overall dark time and also a tiring time. By this point in the pandemic, people were sad and they were tired and they were tired of feeling sad. So you want to watch a panda cam? We got that for you. You want to safely come to our outdoor zoo and experience the joy of a new panda? We welcome you with open arms. The zoo is free and it's available to everyone. I love that she brought that energy to it. And I love that we were able to take part and learn a little bit more. And then Omicron hit. I remember that Thanksgiving, I was gathering with my family. You know, we had gathered for Thanksgiving for the first time in a long time. And we did an episode talking to a doctor who said, yeah, you can, you know, meet with your family. So we were all doing that. And then that evening, we hear about Omicron, you know, cropping up in South Africa. And my heart just dropped because I just saw all the signs. I saw all the sources that we had, you know, been following, all the all the experts we had in our show. I looked at all their Twitter and they were like, yeah, this is not great. Yeah, I recall I had left the show at that point, but I remember you and I went out for coffee as we are wont to do. And you actually told me that Omicron hit home, very close to home, actually. My whole family had changed plans as a couple family members got Omicron and thankfully they were okay, but it really did impact that winter. Christmas didn't really happen. And I also was very glad that this show was still going on then, you know, even though we had just seen a dip after Delta, I'm glad we kept going because it was really important for us to cover Omicron, which really was such a surprise to everyone. And so many people had so many questions. And Kate Ryan talked about that return to virtual learning. The difference here is two years ago, we were flying blind. We didn't know what this thing was capable of and how far it would go. Now we understand how it behaves and we have tools to fight it that include number one, the vaccine. And we're hearing that at every level, state officials, local health officials, educators like Dr. Goldson are saying, get yourself vaccinated. So we have that tool in the toolbox, plus masks and social distancing. And then also from kind of a government perspective, we saw DC's government react very swiftly with bringing back rapid tests, even introducing a vaccine mandate and bringing back the indoor mask mandate. And I remember Scott Gelman, you know, just came on and we just literally looked at his Twitter feed and walked down his Twitter feed and he really contextualized it. A lot of this COVID policy is coming based on what's happening on the ground, right? So we're not really seeing these changes just to make a change or just to make a political decision. A lot of these changes are the result of conditions that are changing during the pandemic. And, and the mayor has said as much. Between him, Neil and Kate, the coverage WTOP had of all the different school systems was incredibly thorough. And you got to see exactly how much parents were being pulled back and forth with everyone having a different opinion, all stemming from caring about their children and having to navigate this third wave that I think people were really hoping wasn't going to happen. And then, like every wave does, you know, we saw Omicron really fade precipitously. I mean, really just fall just as fast as it shot up. And I brought back Dr. Monica Gandhi to really tell us, you know, is this it? Is this the last wave? And obviously her answer was no, there could be other waves. But Dr. Gandhi did say, you know, look, so many people have gotten this virus at this point. Vaccines are here. Paxlova, the therapeutic, is really good at keeping people out of the hospital. 
what we didn't have over the Omicron surge was the wide availability of the therapeutics. And that is what's changed in March 22. So, you know, she didn't outright declare normalcy for good for everyone, but she'd say, hey, we are in a new spot, a spot we haven't been before and a spot that is more normal than we've seen since March 2020. And now here we are. Um, it's been a year and I hope you have enjoyed this show. I know Laura and I have loved creating it together and documenting 51 straight weeks, what we've all been going through in this DC area with the pandemic. Yeah, this has been an incredibly rewarding experience. I will say I often made the joke that I made it through the whole pandemic without starting a podcast, but here I am. I ended up starting one with you, Luke, and I'm very grateful for it. But I hear you're doing more. Well, come April 19th, Megan Clority and I, WTOP's investigative reporter and guest on Is It Normal Yet? Megan and I will be teaming up to launch a daily news podcast for the D.C. area, where we're going to cover basically two of the top stories or one top story. It'll vary. And we'll drop episodes every afternoon and really dive into the stories that matter. And you can listen to us on your afternoon commute. So, you know, you can sign up on dmvdownload.com. You can, you know, give us your email and your name if you so choose. And we'll just send you the first episode when it drops. This episode is hosted and produced by me, Luke Garrett. And hosted by me, Laura Spitalniak. Our music is courtesy of Lockspeed. Equally as incredible is Audrey Garrett, who created our podcast art. And I'll see you all again April 19th on the DMV Download Podcast. Thank you for listening.